You're listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. Well, good morning, church. Thank you for braving the blizzard of March 2017. Which was worse, worrying about the weather or that hour lost of sleep? Yeah, amen. Somebody said, hour? Like, we're grumpy in here. I hope you got some coffee on your way in. But it's good to be in the house of the Lord, amen? It's good to be here, and God's going to do, I mean, we had an awesome first service, man. God's just been working today, and I know that he's going to continue to do that. Uh, my name's Matt. If you're worshiping with us for the first time today, I, I get the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Vintage, um, and it's just a grateful, um, it is a privilege that I get to do what I do. Um, if you're worshiping with us for the first time today, we would love to know that. Take some time throughout the morning, or before you leave this morning, stop by the Connections tent. Um, there are some people there that want to put a free gift in your hand just to thank you for worshiping with us. What will happen next is somebody will probably just shoot you an email and say thank you. We're not going to hound you. We're not going to show up at your house because um, we don't want to get shot. So we're just not going to do that. Um, but we just want to thank you for worshiping with us. And we know that coming to a new church, it can be different and kind of awkward. And maybe you have questions that you won't answer. So make sure you stop by the Connections tent on your way out and, and make that happen. Um, go ahead and, and grab your Bibles and go to 1 Samuel chapter 17 because that's where we're going to get in just a moment. You can access that um, in tons of different ways. If you haven't downloaded the Vintage Church app, I encourage you to do that. It's a good way for you just to stay connected. Um, there are preloaded notes for today's teaching within that app. There's a Bible reading plan. There's an events page so you can keep up with what's going on around our church. And just want to remind you of some of those things. Uh, in a little over a month now, um, we leave on April the 26th. We're taking another team to Laganov, Haiti. Um, our church made a commitment to take a team every other year for about 10 years. Um, God's calling us to serve the people of, of Haiti. And so once again, we're taking a, a team of 12 of us on uh, April 26th. We head out. So can I ask you to do a couple things? Just somewhere in your notes or in, in your journal or in your Bible, just write Haiti 2017 and commit to praying for our team. Um, if you would like to know the names of all those team members, because maybe you're a prayer warrior, you want to call them out by name, shoot us an email. Uh, if ever you have any questions or want information, office at vintagechurch.net. Somebody will follow up with you and, and, and knock that out. Um, but we leave on the 26th of April, and I just want you to pray for that team. Uh, they're still continuing to try to raise their funds. It's about $2,000 for this trip to cover all the expenses um, and to cover all our ministry needs and that kind of stuff. I actually had somebody not long ago say, can I sponsor somebody? No. Yes, you can. You can sponsor somebody. That would be awesome. Um, so if you want to help do that, we could give you information about how to do that as well. Also, you can use, uh, stay, stay tuned because we are revamping our student ministry right now. Um, what used to be called Relic, which our student ministry is going to be revamping and relaunching in April as vintage students. So if you're a parent of a 6th to 12th grader, um, we would love to get you connected to our student ministry. Right now, they're in the process of, of creating a new team and developing some new visions for this ministry, and it's going to relaunch in April, and it's going to be awesome. So make sure you stay tuned for all those details. Uh, one more thing before we dive into the sermon. Last Sunday, we, we launched an, a giving initiative called Above and Beyond. And our goal was to, throughout the end of the year, um, bank a, a good amount of money to kind of move us toward getting that building. Uh, I just want to let you guys know that uh, we've hit some roadblocks once again. Uh, the building is going to be a lot more expensive now that we've uh, kind of gotten the final bid than we originally hoped. And the number that we kind of hoped for for that giving initiative has not quite got there. Uh, so we, we don't know uh, what to do next. Uh, we are still moving towards that building, and we believe that one day God is going to, this is what I know, every day we get a little closer to Jesus coming back and building that building, I don't know which will come first. Um, uh, so you might want to say, well, what does that mean? Uh, it doesn't change a thing. 
uh, because we are who we are no matter where we meet. If we meet in the parking lot or in this building or in your backyard, I had somebody tell me last week, I don't care, Pastor Matt, if we have a building, I'll meet in a tent. We'll put a tent in my backyard and I'll come to this church. I said, amen, sister, we might have to do that someday. I don't know. Uh, but it doesn't change a thing. And I just want you to know, we, we are going to continue to take can three people accepted Jesus in our first service. That's why we do church. Uh, we believe that a building is going to be a part of our future one day. And, we're, and for those of you who are making those pledges, do not feel discouraged. You are helping us get a little bit closer to that. And every day, again, we're moving closer to that. But we're going to keep ter- taking territory in the name of Jesus Christ and seeing people's lives changed by the power of the gospel. Amen. Yeah, you can celebrate that a little bit. And the reality is, I mean, life is just like that, right? It doesn't always work out like you thought it would. Oh, maybe your lives did. I don't know. Y'all great. (laughs) I read this quote um, a few weeks ago. It says, life is a roller coaster. It has ups and downs, but it's your choice to scream or enjoy the ride. Anybody else? You kind of feel like that's your life. Like, I mean, life is just, it, it has ups and downs. That's just the nature of life, right? I mean, there's good times, there's bad times. There's, there's mountains and there's valleys. There's, there's highs and there's lows. There's just, that's a reality of life. If you've experienced it, will you just say amen? amen. I mean, that's just life. And even like the last seven days, you've had victories and you've had defeats. You've had things that have encouraged you. You've had things that have disappointed you. That's just life. And you know what? Wouldn't it be awesome if it wasn't the case? but that's just the reality. I saw this graphic this week. Like, we want our lives to look like the one on the left, but our lives look a lot more like the one on the right. <laughs> just a squiggly mess, come on. I mean, if some of y'all are like, that, that's me. That's my testimony. There it is, right there. How about Matt Lynn's testimony last Sunday, huh? Wasn't that powerful? Amen. Just an awesome story of God's grace. But, but that's life. That's what life really looks like, man. There's twists and turns, and there's just all kinds of things that go on in our lives. And so we just want to take a series and just kind of, number one, let's just, just acknowledge that. That life has its ups and downs, its highs and its lows. It's just a part of it. But I want to submit to you that life does have its ups and downs, but your faith doesn't have to. That like no matter how high you feel on life right now or whether you feel like you're in the worst season of your life, like your faith can be consistent. Like your your life can have peaks and valleys, but your faith can remain the same. Come on. Like your faith doesn't have to be shaken by the ups and the downs. And so we're going to learn how to, but but this is what we do. Kind of our faith kind of rides the roller coaster of our lives. It's it, because so many times our faith kind of becomes connected to the things that are going on in our lives. And if things are going good, we, we just experience those things. But what can we, so I thought maybe we need to take a few weeks and learn some things. And this is just really personal because it's, it's for me, I'm experiencing that. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is study uh, uh, the life of a guy in Scripture whose life was definitely a roller coaster. Uh, this guy, he had some of the highest of highs in all of God's Word and some of the lowest of lows, and his name is King David. David is one of those guys, if you, if you didn't grow up in church, or maybe you're just kind of new to this whole thing, David's story is found in the Old Testament, and David would eventually become king of Israel. And if you study David's life, I mean, he saw some of the highest of highs in every kind of way that you can think of, relationally, financially, personally, like he was on the top of the mountain, and dude had some low lows. And I think we can learn some things from his life. Because I think sometimes the lows in our life are from our own creation. I've made bad choices. You Probably you have too. Nobody said amen right there because you don't want to admit it. 
and we can learn some things from his life to figure out how do we how do we navigate these highs and lows how do we deal with these ups and downs in a way that keeps us sane and keeps us staying staying somewhat healthy and so we're going we're gonna to dive into his story today. Now, let me just kind of set the scene before we get in here. Um, the nation of Israel was kind of God's chosen people. And by God's chosen people, I hope you know what that means is that was the, when, they were gonna, when God was going to bring Jesus into the world, he had to bring it from somebody. And so the nation of Israel just happened to be the group of people that God chose to bring Jesus into the world in. And so the nation of Israel was kind of God's chosen people in that fashion. And God was, wanted to be their king and wanted to be their leader. But at some point, they just decided we, we, need, a, we need a king. We need to be like everybody else and have a king. And so God said, that's what y'all want. We'll give, it, we'll give you what you want. So a guy named Saul became the very first king over the nation of Israel. But somewhere along the way, the way Saul let power go to his head. Power will mess a man up. It just has that effect. And he began to kind of step away from God and be a little bit, not a little bit, because any disobedient is disobedience, to step away from dis- and, and be disobedient to God. And even at a very early on, like God has said, you know what, Saul is going to be disobedient. We're going to have to appoint somebody else king. And when David is just a small child, a guy named Samuel, who is God's prophet, he spoke the, the voice of God, shows up at, at David's house and says, I think one of your sons, talking to Jesse, his dad, is going to be king one day. And so he parades all of his sons out, and by, everyone is like, no, not him, not him, not him, not him. And he kind of brings them out in order of age because that was the custom. And finally they get to the little runt, David, and be like, that's the one. That's going to be the one that does it. And so David has been anointed and appointed, and he starts uh, in this journey. And then we come to one of the moments in his life that is a powerful up in his life. And it's one you're familiar with as he slays the giant. So today I want us to dive into that story. It's 1 Samuel chapter 17. In case you maybe didn't grow up in church, I'm, we're going to read through this story together and be reminded of how cool it is. See, now, we, where we pick up the story, if you go to 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're going to start with verse 17. That the, the nation of Israel, led by Saul, is kind of in the battle against uh, the Philistine army. And David is too young. He's not a soldier right now. So he's at home, and at this point, his main job is, is he's a shepherd. He's tending to the sheep. But then this happens in verse 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 17. You with me? Say amen. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Allah fighting against the Philistines. See, that's the part of the story that like, we typically skip, skip over. Like David shows up on this battlefield, and he's just bringing his brothers a snack. I mean, Jesse's like, here's some Capri Suns and some Doritos, and go check on your brothers. Like That's pretty much what's happening. He's like, go check on your brothers, see how they're doing, take them, these snacks, this little food, kind of find out what's going on. And so David begins to head down to the battlefield. And in the meantime, what's been going on in this battle is really not a battle at all. It's a standoff. You've got the Israelite army on one side and the Philistines on the other. And basically, they have, they have a ringer, and his name is Goliath. He's a giant. He's Shaq on steroids. And basically, what they, the plan is, so we're just going to parade Goliath out and just kind of do a one-on-one. And his one-on-one is, all right, Goliath says, hey, you, give me, you bring your best to fight me. You beat me, y'all win. I beat y'all, we win. That's the story. And Israelites, that ain't happening, Jack. 
Like they're not doing it. They're kind of just kind of running away. And for 40 days, this is happening. Goliath steps out. Anybody want some? No? Okay, we'll try again tomorrow. And so David shows up in verse 23. says, As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Goth, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they fled from him in fear. So like, like these, the soldiers, the, the grown men, the ones equipped for the fight, like they, they ain't having none of it. And David's there, and he overhears what's happening. And again, he's not even really supposed to be there. He's supposed to be just running an errand for his father. And he overhears what's happening, and he gets wind of what's going on. So see what, let's look what happens next. Verse 25. Now the Israelites have been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. So it got to the point where like Saul's trying to sweeten the pot a little bit. Like, okay, whoever does this, I'll give you great wealth. I'll let you marry one of my daughters. Now, I don't know if they were ugly or what. I don't know what, how good a reward that was. But the tax-exempt status was pretty appealing. <laughs> but nobody... Is coming out. Verse 26. David standing near the, David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the one who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? In other words, David says, Who does he think he is? So can you imagine? Here are all these grown men soldiers. They've fought in battles with and for Saul before. And now they face themselves up against something really, really difficult. And all of a sudden, this kid shows up and be like, who does this guy think he is? And now it just so happens his brothers are there, and his brothers have been fighting alongside of Saul. And like, they don't take too kindly to little David showing up thinking he's something. Look at verse 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down here only to watch the battle. Ain't that just like a big brother? Like, boy, what are you doing here? You're not even supposed to be here. Who do you think you are? And, and you notice how he even tries to belittle what he does. You thought those few little sheep, and that like, like those few little sheep that daddy kind of lets you take care of, Who's watching them? Like, go away. If y'all got an older brother, you've experienced this before. I love what David says. Look what David says. Verse 29. Now, what have I done? Can't I even speak? Like, that's how I just hear him saying that. Right? Can't I even speak? Like, man. Like, who am I? Like, what's going on? And so David, like, he, he's blown away by this. Because see, this is how David, you remember how David sees this. You notice what he says. This isn't the Philistines versus the Israelites. This is somebody against God trying to attack somebody for God. So it wasn't just Goliath was coming out here defying Saul. Essentially, David saw this as you're standing up against my God and what he's trying to accomplish and what he's trying to do and where he's trying to go next. So verse 32, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. 
Now, I picture that at this moment, Saul, like, for real? <laughs> like, that's nice, young man. Like, like, number one, we've been out here for over a month dealing with this, and weren't you just delivering the Doritos and the Capri Suns? It's time for you to go. <laughs> Verse 33, Saul replied, you are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You're only, you're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. So he says, like, son, like, I get, I get, I'm glad that you're passionate. I'm glad that you're excited, but you're just a kid, and this guy is a trained killer. Like, this isn't a good idea. And then verse 36, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. The uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. In other words, he's trying to say, like, I can do this. I got this. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. <laughs> like, let him get killed. He's just a kid. He said, all right, well, all right, we'll, we'll go and the Lord be with you because if he ain't, boy, you're in trouble. <laughs> then verse 38, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic he put, on a coat of, he put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. Now right here, I just remember when you were a little kid, you used to dress up in your daddy's clothes. Come on. Like really, like you, when you were a little kid, you know, if you're a little kid and you put on your dad's jacket or something, like you're standing there like, and it just like it swallowed you. That's kind of what I picture in my mind right now. Like David's kind of walking around like, like dude, I can't do this. Like he's, like he's got these big old clothes and this heavy armor and he's just a little kid and he's trying to put on the clothes and armor of a grown soldier. And it just doesn't even make sense. He says, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the stream and put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. So here for all these days, this Goliath has stepped out, and the army's gone running. And so you can you imagine he steps out this morning, and here comes some little shepherd boy. And he ain't got an armor or a helmet. He got a sling and a bag. And as you can imagine, Goliath's a little bit offended. Like, really? Like, after all this time, this is what you're going to say? I'm going to squash this kid like an ant. And check out, David was a level five trash talker. Look at this. Verse 45. says, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Boy, This very day, I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. David, bringing it. So here comes the showdown, verse 48. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead 
the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. See, a lot of times we stop there, but I like, I like what the story continues to say. So David ran and stood over him, like J.J. Watt after a sack. Like, boom! <laughs> like, I just see him like, standing over looking at him like, got you, bro. So he stands over him. And then look what happens next. He took hold of the Philistine sword and drew it from the sheath. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. Now, remember when you were a little kid, you used to go to Sunday school, and you had coloring sheets. You never had one with David holding his severed head. <laughs> like, you didn't color that in Sunday school, right? Like, you had this nice little picture of David in his little robe, like, like all in action, and the giant just kind of flying back. But now David's standing there with his head in his hand, and you never, never colored that one. But the Bible says he cut off his head and, like, took it back to the, like, walked it back to the camp, like, got y'all. <laughs> and takes it and puts it in his camp, and, and they begin to celebrate. It says, when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Now, that's a fun story to tell. But here's the question. What do we do with that? What do we do with all that? And now, there's different theories. And, like, I've, you know, there's, 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 and I, and, and I really believe this. You know, there's layers to Scripture. You know that, right? Um, like there, I think there's a bigger picture here, and I do believe this, that, you know, I believe all of Scripture points to Jesus, number one. And I believe that there is a bigger thing happening, that, that the analogy of, of Goliath being the giant of sin and David representing Jesus as the only one that can deal with our sin, and, 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 and there's other imagery that's, that, that's at play here. But I believe that there, there are also things that, that are at play in all of Scripture that God, there's layers and things that God wants to teach us. And I think that there's times, and depending on the season that we're in, that the Holy Spirit can, can unearth truth throughout all the Scripture that can hit you right where you are and give you something that you need in that moment, to that, that something that you need to learn, a nugget of truth. And that these stories in the Scriptures, there's all kinds of layers. And, and you, ever, you ever had those moments where, like, you've read something your whole life, you've read it 50 times, and then all of a sudden you read it, and, and because of the Holy Spirit stirring things up, you, something just jumps off the page that you've never seen before, and it's just like a, a light just comes on. I think that's what God can do with this, with, with this scripture because I think the reality is that there are often times when there are big things that threaten to challenge our God, that think they want to stand in opposition to our God. See, the nation of Israel is at a place where God, God is in the business of taking you from who you are and where you are to who you can be and are supposed to be. That's what this whole journey is about. That's what Jesus came to do was because you were stuck and dead in sin. But Jesus came, died on the cross, had victory over the grave. And because of his blood shed for you, you don't have to stay there. You can move forward and grow in him and have a relationship with God. Amen. I'll clap a little bit louder because y'all don't want to. Like that's who God is. I think right here is another example of if the giant, the, the thing standing between God's people and threatening and challenging God's people. And David has the courage to deal with it when others won't. But here's the question. This is, this is what hit me this, studying this passage over the last several months. Because we look at that courage and we think, like, to face the ups and downs of my life, to walk through this thing called life, it takes courage. Come on. Uh, every day you're faced with something that requires courage or it'll crush you. There's things that challenge your faith, your physical health, your emotional, spiritual. There's things that you, f that you face. And, and like you see David 
to just act with such courage. And I believe it really was courage. I don't think it was conceit. But see, here's the question. How do we get that kind of courage? And this is what I would submit to you. That David was able to operate with so much courage because of his conviction. I believe this to be true, that your level of courage will be determined by the depth of your conviction. Your level of courage will be determined by the depth of your conviction. See, his courage didn't come from a confidence in himself, but a conviction about his God. His courage didn't come from a confidence within himself, but it came from a conviction about his God. I think laced all throughout that story, you see David operating in this. And, and conviction is a word, maybe you hear that word and it kind of has a negative tone because you think about conviction over sins and stuff. But I'm talking about conviction simply is convinced. That David's courage came because he was so convinced in who God is and was and will always be. And he was, from the moment, he says, how can, he didn't, he didn't come out and say, how can you let this giant stand against you guys? He said, this giant is defying our God. And when he's defying our God, we have to understand, I don't care how big he is, God's bigger. And his courage came from that deep level of conviction that he was so convinced about who God is and was. And that's what gave him the courage to fight a battle that he should have run from and everybody else ran from. And you know what? I believe that you and I can have that same kind of courage to face the things in our lives that threaten us and threaten God's position in our world. I don't know if you've noticed, church, but we are in a fight. We are in a fight. We fight not against flesh and blood, and we're in a spiritual war constantly. And the courage to stand and fight for that comes from a deep-rooted conviction. Like, if you want the courage to fight these things, you, you need to find that deep-rooted, you need to be convinced so deep in your soul about who God is and what His Word has said and when you have that type of conviction, you'll have the courage to take on anything. But see, here's the problem. Most of us don't operate with conviction. We're driven by convenience. See, in this life, you're going to have to make a decision. Which is going to be the driving force in your life? Will it be conviction or will it can be convenience? And can we be honest? There's a lot of times that we operate with convenience. And our courage takes a back seat because instead of being driven by conviction, we're living purely and solely out of convenience. Come on, church. And see, what you see is David is choosing, when everybody else is operating in convenience, he decides to be motivated by conviction. And see, there's a big difference when your life becomes driven by conviction instead of convenience. Like, number one, conviction moves forward, convenience stands still. See, everybody else that, you know, it was convenient to stay on the other side and not die. But David's conviction says, no, we've got to push forward. See, convenience says going out to face the giant is a little bit too risky. 
Convenience says it's much more comfortable to stay here, even though we know God said, over here is where I want you, over here is where I need you to be, over here is where my path is leading. But between where you are and where you are, I know there stands a giant obstacle, something that threatens you, and you have to make a decision. Will the conviction about where God's calling you be strong enough to take you there? When it's much more convenient to stay here. And look what, it, again, 1 Samuel 17, 24, whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. You know why? It was more convenient. Also, conviction follows calling. Convenience caters to critics. Conviction follows, fo- follows calling. Convenience caters to critics. Did you notice the critics all throughout that story? From his brother who said, dude, you're not even supposed to be here. What are you doing here? Remember what he said? Verse 28, why have you even come down here? And with whom did you leave those sheep, those few sheep in the wilderness? And I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. And let me just say, sometimes people will call you conceited when you're passionate about your convictions. They will, they will want to label your deep-rooted convictions and call you cocky because it just makes them feel better about their convenience. Saul said, boy, you cannot do this. You're going to die. See how many, all, how many times that David could have made the decision to cater to the critics, but instead he knew that his calling was to never let anything stand against his God. Never let anything threaten his God. And there's going to be a time when God's voice is the only one calling you to go when everybody else is telling you you should stay. We have a saying around our staff, retreat to the call. Because there's sometimes in in doing what we do and sometimes in life when you aren't certain about anything but the fact that God has called you to do it. Come on. Like, you can't make sense of, 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 of anything else, but you know, like, I, God, I can't make sense of why I'm here and where I'm going to go next and how I'm going to make this happen and where I'm going to get the money and how I'm going to do this, but I know that you brought me here, and so I'm going to take comfort and peace and confidence in the conviction that I was called to be here. And for now, that will be enough. Conviction follows calling. Convenience skaters to critics. Conviction is God-dependent. And convenience is self-serving. See, I think it's really easy to look at this story, especially when David starts saying stuff like this in, in, in verse 36. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. The uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. In other words, he's thinking of like David's just like bragging, like here's my resume, King Saul. I've killed the bear. I've killed the lion. I will kill Philistine. But notice what he's saying. Notice what he says next. Do you see what he says next? He said, this is what's happened to me in my past. But verse 37, the Lord who rescued me. You notice he didn't say, I did this because I am awesome. I am a warrior. He says, no, you know what? You know how I know that I can do this? Because there's been times in my life acting in obedience to God and doing what God called me to do. And because I knew I was doing what God called me to do, because I was convinced I was doing what God called me to do, God's provision was in my life. And God's provision will be for me again. 
He's saying, you know what? I'm not going in this because I think I can do this. I'm going in this because I know what God can do. I'm dependent on him. Like, yeah, like if it hadn't been for God, the bear and the lion, they'd have ate me for breakfast. And if God doesn't come in here now, this Philistine, he gonna kill me. But I'm going in trusting, believing, convinced that God's provision is operating in my life because I'm following what he is calling me to do. There's some confidence that comes from being called in that when you know you're dependent on God and it ain't about you and how smart or talented you are. See, convenience is self-serving. Conviction is God-dependent. Final thing, conviction makes a difference. Convenience makes excuses. Conviction makes a difference. Convenience makes excuses. From start to finish, David had every excuse in the book not to be the one to face down the giant. From, uh, I, I, I was just here to give my brother some groceries. Or, you know, you're right, big brother, like, um, I need to go back to my sheep. Or, no, Saul, you're right, I really can't do this. Or, you know what, this armor doesn't fit, never mind. Or, oh my gosh, this dude is much bigger than I thought. Like, all along the way, he had an opportunity to make excuses. And that, that's what convenience does. It always finds a way out. It always finds a reason why you can't do it, why it's too much, why it's impossible. But when you're convinced deep down in your soul of who God is and what he wants for your life and what he's calling you to do, and you follow that conviction and you stay true to it, it will make a difference in your life and the lives of other people. The level of your courage will be determined by the depth of your conviction. And so you'll never have the courage to face the things in this life that are going to turn it into a roller coaster if you don't start operating from a place of conviction. And that means you've got to get rooted in the right things. See, his conviction wasn't in himself or in his abilities or in his culture or in his world or in his wealth or in his abilities, it was in God. And years later, I think Paul would say this same thing to a young man named Timothy that he was discipling when he wrote these words in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from you have learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are, you, you, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Do you see the same thing that Timothy was told by Paul is what I'm telling you today? He says, as for you, if you want to keep moving forward, if you want to keep going in this calling that you have, if you want to make it in this life, if you want to keep moving forward, then you have to stay convinced. You have to be reminded of the things that your life is about, being rooted in the things that you've learned from those people that have mentored you, discipled you, and loved you, and more importantly, being rooted in what you know you've learned from God's Word. And when what God's Word has said it becomes really the driving force in your life, and you understand who God is and His promises and all He's called you to do, and when your life is rooted in a conviction conviction of who he is and what he can do you can have the courage to face anything that ever threatens your life so here's the question are you driven by convenience are you motivated by conviction 
Life has its ups and downs. It's going to be good. It's going to be bad. And if you let yourself be driven by convenience instead of motivated by conviction, you'll never have the courage to stare down that which stands between you and where God wants you to be. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me? Being rooted in this conviction has a starting line, and that's a relationship with Jesus. Like if you want to have the deep-rooted conviction to face what life's going to throw at you, it begins by being rooted in Jesus Christ. And today, if you've never made that decision, here's the reality. God wanted a relationship with you. So much so he became a man in the form of Jesus Christ who walked this earth, experienced life like you did, but then he went to a thing called the cross. And he died to take the penalty of all your sins and your mistakes and the things that separated you from God. And three days later, he rose from the grave, destroying the ultimate penalty for that sin. And to have a relationship with God, all you have to do is to begin that journey. And it's a starting point, is to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And if you've never done that today, and you want to do that, the Bible says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. If that's you, you've never made that decision, and you want to make it today, I want to pray for you. Would you just throw your hand up in there and just leave it up? That, that this place of conviction begins by rooted in the life of Jesus. Amen. 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 You can put your hands down now. Or maybe you're here today, and you know what? You, you started that journey somewhere along the way, but somewhere things got a little bit too difficult, and convenience just became the easier path. And your life is a roller coaster right now, mainly because you're not following the convictions of God's word, of what God, you know God wants for your life and what you know he's calling you to. And this time that you, you kind of switched paths, you, you got off that convenience train and decided to follow and be rooted in conviction and start making some changes in your life. If that's you, will you have the courage to throw up your hand as well? Because I want to pray for you. I want to be rooted in conviction. I want that to be the motivating force behind my life. Amen. 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 You can put your hands down now. Just a moment, I'm going to pray, and we're going to spend some time in worship. We're going to allow God just to keep teaching whatever he's wanting to teach you in your heart. Will you just tune into his voice? Father, as we worship you now, I pray that you would continue to speak, that you would help us to realize that we can have the courage to follow our convictions. And that's going to take us into dangerous waters that are over our heads and scary. But God, we, we go there not because we're confident in what we can do, but we, has a deep, we have a deep-rooted conviction of what you can do, and that's where our courage lies. Do work now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand. Let's worship together, church. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.